How's it going, everybody? Welcome into the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halstead here with another edition. We just did a basketball episode earlier this week with Iowa State's latest signee, Caleb Grill. And we're going to continue in the trend of basketball today, but we're actually, instead of talking about incoming players, we're going to be talking about outgoing players in the NBA draft. Iowa State has three players um, who are left early, so to speak, for the NBA draft. Obviously, Taylor Horton Tucker declared early. Lindell Wigginton declared early, and Cameron Lard was going to transfer, but he's also declared, so we'll still count him in that pool. And then they've got two graduates, Mariel Shayak and Nick Weiler-Babb, who are out there as potential NBA guys as well. So five guys you can talk about in terms of the NBA draft in 2019. The NBA Combine is next week. Also next week is the NBA G League camp. And so I'm going to bring on Sam Vecini from The Athletic. Sam is probably maybe the one of, if not the top guys um, who does this NBA draft stuff. You know, he's talking to a lot of people. I don't think people realize that, you know, people like Sam are not just, you know, evaluating guys. They're putting a lot of time in evaluating guys, but they're talking to a lot of people uh, in the NBA and around professional basketball, college basketball to get insight and information on these guys you know it's not all just them watching film and sam's one of the most well connected and has a lot of insight on iowa state's nba prospects uh, those guys but also uh, tyrese halliburton will actually get to him as well so i'm going to bring sam on in just a minute um but before then uh, let's just kind of do a quick little rundown taylor horton tucker has been invited to the nba combine that will take place next week may 14th through may 19th in chicago and then two players have been invited to the NBA G League Elite Camp, uh, Linda Wigginton and Mariel Shayok. If those two perform well, they can be asked to stay in Chicago and then go to the NBA Combine. The NBA G League Elite Camp is, I think, May 12th through 14th. If uh, NBA evaluators like what they see from those guys or want to see more from those guys in a setting with the best players um, deemed by NBA personnel at the Combine, they can be asked to stay. So Iowa State will have three guys in Chicago next week, and that's why I wanted to bring Sam on here on this episode to give us a lowdown on where those guys stand now, what they can still do to improve their stock, and the outlook as a whole. So, again, Sam Vecini from The Athletic. Uh, he's got big boards with his top 100 players out there. He's got NBA mock drafts, and he's also the host of the Game Theory podcast. You can find him there. But thanks to Sam for taking so much time and uh, let's jump in and get his thoughts on Iowa State's NBA potential. I'm joined now by Sam Vecini of The Athletic. Sam is one of the best NBA draft experts out there, also the host of the Game Theory podcast. And uh, Sam, thanks for taking a few minutes here before a busy NBA combine. And I think uh, your latest uh, hot board just came out. So thanks for taking some time uh, in between all of that. Yeah, of course, Alex. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely that time of year. This year, things are a little bit more up in the air than what they typically are at this stage. Uh, it's just that kind of that kind of draft year where the talent level is uh, pretty flat in comparison to what you typically see during a NBA draft cycle. So, uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to get into Chicago on Sunday and uh, be there for a week. You kind of touched on the uncertainty a little bit, and, and that kind of surrounds Iowa State a little bit because there are some different interesting draft prospects prospects that they have, a couple that will be in Chicago. I think the one one we should probably start with is Taylor Horton Tucker. 
Um, obviously a one and done player. It sounds like by all accounts, he's going to stick in the NBA draft. He's been invited to the NBA combine. I think on your, your latest board, you've got him number 36. You've had him early second round. I think right now on your latest mock draft, he's a really interesting prospect and one that I think a lot of people are all over the place on. What can you tell me and our, and the listeners, I guess, about Taylor? So yeah, very unique prospect and you know i'm not someone that really likes to throw the word unique around uh you know things aren't always unique you know it's uh you know really i shouldn't have even used the modifier very before unique but he is genuinely just a totally different prospect than what you typically see he's a six foot four uh player before we start nailing down positions with a seven foot one wingspan who can handle the ball a little bit uh can theoretically guard multiple positions and, uh, you know, is not necessarily bashful about shooting the basketball and, uh, you know, obviously has an incredible feel for the game. And then you throw on top of it that he's 230 pounds in an era where, uh, you know, NBA teams are looking for size and strength to be able to match up uh, and play smaller across the board. So just a very uh, interesting player and someone that I do believe can be called unique uh, in the way that his skill set kind of affects the game. The, his season was interesting because I think a lot of people thought he'd be a multi-year player, maybe not a four-year player, but at least a, a maybe a two-year player. And then he started getting some buzz at the Maui Invitational, which obviously has a lot of NBA executives and it's kind of a high-profile type of type of um, you know situation. And then from there, it kind of just picked up steam. And, you know, once he declared, it never felt like he's coming back. Um, you kind of right now have him early second. I know he maybe late first type situation. Where do you kind of think he could, could fall? And how much can he help his stock in the next month or so? So, yeah, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. And Taylin, so every year there's a guy that I am – a little bit lower on than where the general consensus of the NBA scouting community is. Like I talk to NBA scouts and executives every day. Like I know kind of, uh, you know, where these guys fall in line, right. For the most part, at least, uh, Talon is a guy that, you know, when I talk to NBA executives, they do see him as a first round pick. Uh, I personally would not select him there. Uh, I think that he is still an incredibly raw player, despite the fact that he has such a high feel for the game. Uh, and, and I think that his skill set genuinely still needs a lot of work. So if you're asking me where I think he'll be picked, I would say somewhere between pick number 20 and 30. Uh, if you're asking me where I would pick him, it would probably be something like, 38 to 50 or something like that. So it's, you know, I, I think it's complicated where I have them in my big board right now at number 35. Uh, you know, I, I honestly do think that I'm kind of baking just the fact that I'm not infallible when evaluating prospects into the equation. And there are plenty of really smart people that I've talked to who really believe in Taylor's skill set. Um, but yeah, he's a guy that I totally understand why teams are high on him I just don't really think that I'm quite there how much does it help a guy being 18 years old right now and not going to turn 19 until November do you think that that's part of the NBA intrigue is that this guy 
is so young that they can really take what he is now and completely, almost completely mold his game and his body? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a huge part of it for NBA teams that I've talked to. Uh, you know, Talon is so young still. He's, uh, like I said, that high feel for the game. You don't typically see that with guys that are this young. Um, it, it is pretty rare for the most part. Uh, you know, and obviously has the very, uh, you know, ridiculous physical dimensions that uh, NBA teams are looking for. And they think that getting him at a young age, like getting him at 18 years old, they're going to be able to use their developmental staffs to mold him into what they want to mold him into. Um, you know, I think it's a totally reasonable opinion on their parts. You know, NBA development staffs are very, very good at figuring out ways to make guys uh, better and to fit within their scheme. So, you know, I think it makes total sense uh, that, you know, his age would play a significant factor because he still has uh, a lot of room to grow. Let's switch to the other side. And it's kind of almost the, in some ways, an opposite of Horton Tucker because Linda Wigginton is a guy who... Well, hold on. Can I, can I just kind of mention why I don't really like Talon? Yeah. Um, or not like don't like him as a person, but just like I'm not a huge fan of his game. I mean, so like... I see him as a guy who is probably going to be a role player at the next level. And if I'm drafting a role player, I want someone who can come in within the first like year and a half and contribute. And with Talon, I see him as a guy who is, you know, theoretically a good defender, but was not a good defender for Iowa state this year. Um, you know, people get really excited about the block rate and the steal rate, but he really struggled to stay in front of guys despite that length or, or like, despite the physical strength, despite the length, despite everything that goes into it. I thought he kind of has slow feet and slow hips as well, uh, which is kind of an issue. So, you know, you look at that side of the ball and then you add in the best way to make an impact as a young player in the NBA is facing the floor as a shooter. And Talon was not particularly efficient around the basket this season uh, and was not particularly efficient as a three point shooter. His 48.8 true shooting percentage is extraordinarily low for a guy that is considered to be in uh, a first round draft prospect. So, uh, you know, not, none of this is to say that Talon can't get better. Uh, I think he will get better, and I, I do think that he has the talent of an NBA player because he can really handle the ball, and there are real theoretical defensive abilities there. But if I'm taking a guy that I want to be a role player, I want him to be uh, someone that I think can come in and contribute relatively quickly because then I'm getting actual value on his rookie-scale deal. That actually leads in, I think, to what I was going to bring up there, and that's that is Lindell Wigginton, and it touches on it in a couple ways because I think, in a similar way, a role player, and you know, if if he can crack the NBA, and he's got some different questions, whether it's defensively or or things like that, and he's an interesting player because he he wanted to be one and done. You know, I think by all accounts, he declared for the draft last year, didn't get the NBA combine invite, and then all that kind of led to him coming back. He declares again now and didn't get the combine invite, will go to the G League camp, but he's probably going to stay in, you know, from everything it sounds like right now. What's his outlook? Because he's got, you know, some crazy athleticism. He shot in almost 40% from the field or from three the last two years now. Um, it just seems like he's got some things that the NBA probably likes, but what's maybe his biggest holdback? Yeah, I think that the number one thing is the uh, assist-to-turnover rate. Uh, you know, you look, he had a 15% assist rate this year versus a 16.4 turnover rate. 
You know, it was basically the same the year before, 17.7 to 18.7 assists turnover rate. Um, that that stuff is a problem for someone who is ostensibly going to be a lead guard, even if he is a scoring guard in the vein that Lindell is. Uh, you know, definitely a uh, very impressive pull-up shooter. Uh, a guy that you can trust to get his own shots, the athleticism, uh, the ability to blow by defenders, uh, to finish, uh, you know, above the basket at times. But again, a guy that occasionally did struggle to finish inside around the basket. You know, all of these skills are there. And I think that they need a significant amount of polish. You know, he's he's someone that this year it was kind of weird to watch Iowa state. So Iowa state was a team that I watched probably more than any team outside of Duke this year. Cause I legitimately thought that they were one of like probably the seven most talented teams in college basketball this season. Um, they, they were just, they had everything that I love about basketball teams. They shot the ball like crazy. Um, you know, and by that, I mean, like they put up three pointers, uh, they had spacing all over the floor. They had a lot of really high field guys like Horton Tucker and Weiler Babb and Halliburton. Um, and then Wigginton, it just felt like when he came in, he was kind of operating on a different wavelength than the rest of the other guys. And, you know, he was hurt earlier in the year. And I think that that really, you know, caused an issue for him meshing with a roster that was relatively new and different in the way that it operated from the year before. And it just felt like when he came into games, he was trying to get his own and trying to show people, hey, I'm this NBA draft prospect. And it ended up being at a point where I don't think that he really helped himself by doing that. Um, But he is an incredibly skilled player that like if he went to this uh, G League elite camp and showed out, I don't think anyone would be surprised by that either. Is, is his situation probably half, I mean, I assume it's like he could go to the G League and impress, maybe go through the same route other Iowa State guys have, like an Abdul Nader who was really good in the G League, got a guaranteed deal with, um, I think the Celtics and then was traded to the Thunder later on, even a Deontay Burton or uh, Nazmi Trulong have kind of been two-way players and have found in some ways roles. But is he that kind of player that maybe can go to the G League and, like you said, impress with some of the things he can do and has to probably earn it that way if he's going to make it? Yeah, I think it's totally possible that he could do that. Uh, and I do think that that will end up being the route. You know, he's not someone that is on my top 100 right now. Uh, he was probably somewhere within like the next five or six guys. I uh, was very, very close to being on it. And, you know, assuming I believe that he is going through the process officially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's going to probably stick in it. And um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's probably coming back unless something really crazy happened here. Yeah. So, I mean, like he'll probably be on my final top 100 board once guys decide to return to school. So, you know, any time that that's the case, those guys tend to get two way contracts at the very least. So um, that's the route that I would expect Lindell to have to go down. And, you know, from there, it'll be on him to really improve his game. Let's move over to two seniors, because when I when you look through your board, your top 100, it is a lot of underclassmen and it's it's maybe an underclassman heavy year, especially, but Iowa State does have a couple seniors. I know one of them you've written about that you think maybe he'll end up in your top 100 also. That's Nick Weiler-Babb, but there's there's both Weiler-Babb and Mariel Shayok, both different players. Um, how do you kind of see both of them? Because I know I've seen a little bit from you about Weiler-Babb 
maybe not as much about Shayak, but he had a pretty good Portsmouth uh, invitational at least, and he's going to be at the G League uh, camp as well. So yeah, I was told by people that were that were at Portsmouth that Shayak put up numbers, but uh, played an incredibly selfish brand of basketball and was just like chucking up shots like crazy. Yeah, uh, and that's you know like if you're going to shoot 45 percent from three on those shots, like it's one thing, but um, you know, what teams are looking for, like they trust that Marielle can shoot. It's more that, uh, what else does he bring to the table? Does he utilize that seven foot wingspan, uh, on the defensive end to an extent to where he can become something of a role-playing stopper, uh, defensively because, uh, you know, he has the measurements and he has the shooting ability to be that prototypical three and D type. Right. But, you know, I think that the focus sometimes wavers a little bit on the defensive end. And I think that that's what teams will be looking for from him at the G League combine. Um, you know, Nick Weiler Babb, on the other hand, is a guy that I actually do. You know, Shayok got the G League invite, but I actually like Weiler Babb a little bit more. Um, the reason I say that is his feel for the game is just off the charts. I mean, this is a guy that averaged, I, I want to say it was like 11, 7, and 7 last year before he got hurt. Uh just one of those players that you can trust to put ball in hand. You can trust him away from the basketball. You can trust him to uh, play strong defense. You can uh, just trust him to play his role and do it in an intelligent manner that won't break the flow of what you're trying to do offensively or defensively. So guys like that are players that I really like. I mean, he's definitely going to have to come up through the G League, probably from uh, maybe even an Exhibit 10 level contract guy. So like the level below being a two-way guy. Um, but he's a guy that I would definitely look at for a two-way contract if, uh, you know, it, it ends up go- being that he goes undrafted as I would anticipate that he does. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not very easy to to probably get drafted, period, if you don't get one of these two invites, whether it's the one of the 40 that's going to the G League camp, or I think 66 that were invited to the NBA Combine. That obviously excludes probably a, a few guys from Europe and that sort of thing. I mean, he's probably though you think one of the one of the maybe handful of guys after that that can still make it, you know, through the G League without getting that invite. Yeah. So here, here's what I wrote earlier today. I mean, uh, theoretically, these are the top like 105 college players or top 104 college players. Um, then you throw in 10 international kids, uh, you know, get it up to 114. Uh, Mature Maker is going to be at the G League Combine. Lucas Amanich will be at the NBA Combine. So now you're up to like 116. That's essentially two NBA drafts worth of prospects, right? And yeah. There's only one every year. So uh, I do think that these guys who are at these combines are the lion's share uh, to a significant extent of who are going to be picked. I I did mention though, that I would bet you that there is at least one player not invited to either of these combines that ends up getting selected in the draft. Uh, Like a non-European guy, like a college player that ends up getting uh, drafted on draft night, because I do think that this is kind of a deep year uh, you know, some names that I threw out there were Weiler Babb, uh, John Contra at Fort Wayne, Garrison Matthews at Lipscomb, uh, Justin James at Wyoming, Obi Toppin at Dayton, Trace Tinkle if he goes through the process, Dre Foster, and then Jordan Davis at Northern Colorado. So, like, there are guys that uh, I think are actually really, really interesting and potential NBA players if they can continue to develop. Um, 
that aren't even going to be at these camps. Like this is a year sometimes like last year, for instance, I struggled to get to 100 prospects to put on my big board this year. I struggled to limit it to like 120 <laughs> or so. So I think that there are actually right now quite a few really interesting players out there who aren't on my board, aren't invited to these combines that I think are still absolutely worth considering and absolutely worth looking at. Yeah. And I think the number of players, and I think you mentioned this, it's actually pretty similar to the amount of underclassmen last year, but there's more guys in that pool that are probably going to just stay like a Wigington. Like he's not even in that top hundred, but of the underclassmen, he's probably still going to stay in the draft. And there seems like there's about the same amount of underclassmen that have declared, but maybe a larger percentage that are going to stick in the draft. And that probably makes it harder to gauge which guys are going to line up where on the board. So um, right. I guess the last guy of the five, um, so the, the two seniors, Nick Weiler-Babb, Mariel Shayak, obviously then the underclassmen, we talked about Taylor Horton-Tucker and Linda Wigington. The fifth guy would be Cameron Lard, and he's a guy that has uh, entered the NCAA transfer portal, but when he entered the transfer portal, it was more so to give him that option if he decided to return to school, but everything I had heard was that he wanted to go pro. He just wants to play professionally. And I don't think that's probably the NBA right now. Uh, maybe he tries to stick in the G League. But what's his outlook? Because he had a really good freshman year. This last year was marred by suspensions and a little bit of injury. I mean, he's an interesting prospect. But, I mean, what do you even see from him, given that I think you did say you watched Iowa State quite a bit, maybe second most just to Duke? Yeah, no, I've seen them a bunch. And, you know, Cam Lard's obviously just like a ridiculous athlete, right? Yeah. I mean, that dude can leap out of the building. He runs the floor really, really well for a guy that's his size. Um, you know, he's someone that when I look at him, I, I don't really think he's 240 pounds or whatever he is, but he plays with that level of force and strength. So, like, you kind of do believe it. You know, if you're just looking at him, you're like, no, that guy's like, you know, kind of well-proportioned, kind of skinny, uh, you know, has great, uh, seems to have great length. I don't really have a wingspan measurement on him, but, you know, he's a guy that I think needs to take a lot of time to learn the nuances and uh, intricacies of playing basketball uh, at a high level and at a team level. I mean, you know, I think he shot like 70% this year because it's all layups and dunks, right? But, yeah, right. Uh, you know, and he blocks a ton of shots, obviously, but you put the ball in his hands. I mean, I think he had what, like a, it was some absurd uh, assist to turnover number last year. Like it, it was one of the lowest numbers I can remember like seeing basically. It was like one to four or something like that. It felt like um, he just like, he can't, he's very limited. And then you throw on the fact that defensively, uh, you know, he just does sometimes get lost. He'll go for that big block and go for the action play. And I think that it's pretty easy for me to understand, you know, I, I don't necessarily know the background on his suspensions or anything, just because like I haven't really looked into him to a significant margin because he's definitely outside of the top 150 prospects for me. Um, but like, I, I can see why the coaching staff would get frustrated with putting him on the floor sometimes. So, uh, you know, very interesting player, definitely a guy that, you know, if I was a G League team, I would be interested in bringing in and, you know, seeing where it goes. But, uh, you know, not a guy that is anywhere near being selected at this time, I don't think. Yeah, I think he's a guy that you'd probably, like you said, like to have in your organization or your G League 
to, to kind of see what happens. I think the big thing with him has got to be, first of all, like you said, it's probably got to be a discipline thing. You know, he's got to decide that this is, you know, he's going to put the work into it. And I think he would, he would obviously benefit from another year or two in the big 12 at Iowa state, or I guess even if he had transferred to another high major school, he would benefit from that to continue to build his, you know, basketball acumen and his, just his skill set. But he's not interested in that. And so I think he, he wants to go professional and it's going to become a job. So maybe it happens and maybe you do take a flyer for that reason in the G league, but it's an interesting situation because he's got some of the upside that you said, but it's, it's got to all come together. And what are the chances it comes together? Nobody can really predict that, I guess. Um, I guess he kind of sums up this question though. That's kind of more broadly NBA before we get into the last bit here. And that is, how how much is the G League, do you feel like, changing or the NBA changing in general as it pertains to the draft and new players coming in because of guys like Cameron Lard and Linda Wigginton, underclassmen that before would maybe test the waters but go back, but now you have those guys testing the waters and probably staying in. I mean, how much is that going to change, you think, the G League and the make it more of a minor league type system for the NBA? Yeah, I think that as we get closer to being a true one-to-one uh, model uh, for the for the G League, where every team has a G League team, uh, you know, it's certainly going to start to act as more of a developmental model. I think that you know there are also a variety of factors that go into you know why we see more kids declaring now. I think that the ability to test your stock and then you know theoretically go back to school. I think a lot of kids just you know, they get out of school, they're practicing basketball every day and they decide, you know what, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I can go play professionally and make, you know, even a little bit of money instead of going to school. I'd, I'd rather do that. Uh, I think that you can look at the fact that uh, you can now work with agents. And I think that, that that plays a bit of a role as to why we see more kids declaring. I think that honestly, the uh, shifting paradigm on the way that we look at amateurism in this country uh, is kind of changed the game a little bit in regard to, uh, you know, these kids may be feeling like they're a little bit exploited and feeling like that they want to continue to go and maybe find out what they're worth on the open market. So I think that a lot of factors have begun to play into this. And I think that we're going to continue to see more kids uh, deciding to go pro. And uh, I think that uh, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it might hinder the college game a little bit, but I, you know, I think it's good that kids are kind of making choices that are beneficial to them at the end of the day. And I just hope that that continues. I did. You you brought up something there and that's that more kids are going to, you know, leave college earlier. There is a, is a guy, the last guy I want to talk to from Iowa state, Tyrus Halliburton didn't test the NBA waters. And I think no one would have thought he was crazy to declare and at least just, you know, go do some workouts if you can. I think, you know, people listening to this, uh, obviously in the state of Iowa, Joe Wieskamp did it across the state at Iowa, and he's going to go back to school, but he tested the NBA waters. No one would have thought it was crazy if Tyrese Halliburton did the same, but I think he was just like, I know I'm not going to go. I'm just going to stay. But you do have him as number 20 on your way too early. Look ahead to 2020. What's so intriguing about him? And, you know, how early do you think – someone like him could go? I mean, may, is it next year? Or do you think he's a three-year player? Or what type of player do you think he is down the road? I think a lot depends on what happens with him this summer. 
Uh, and just in terms of let's start with what I like about him. I mean, his feel for the game is off the charts. Uh, he is one of the smartest basketball players I think I've ever uh, seen at his age uh, and scouted over the course of what the six years, seven years I've been doing this. Um, just always in the right spot defensively, always makes the right read, always uh, makes the right kick out pass, always, you know, reverses the ball to the right spot. It's just a consistent guy that you can lean on to be an awesome role player. Now, I think that some of the draft talk about him this year was probably a little bit overstated. Like I saw some people that, you know, considered him a top 25 prospect for this draft. I don't really agree with that. And I think that uh, a big part of it was that his role was so incredibly limited. Uh, Iowa State just let's be frank, didn't ask him to do a crazy amount, right? Like, uh, you know, he wasn't always the primary ball handler. It fell to Nick. It fell to uh, Talon at times. It fell to, uh, you know, you can even talk about Shayok handling a ton of the usage, right? Lindell was obviously handling the ball a ton when he came back from injury. So, you know, he was more of a true secondary ball handler, role player, um, knock down open shots when they come to me, make the right pass, make the right read kind of player. But he did all that. Like he, he performed in his role to a level that uh, was incredibly impressive and beyond what you can expect from a kid his age. Um, the big things for him now will be transitioning into more of an on-ball role. Uh, he's certainly going to get an opportunity to play on the ball a lot more next year. Um the big thing for him, he shot 43% from three this year. Uh, you know, definitely a catch and shoot guy right now. Not much of a pull up game. Uh, slow jump shot takes a bit of time to get off. He needs to quicken up that jump shot and needs to get it to a place where kind of like Jay, uh, Jarrett Culver this year at Texas Tech. Uh, he went about transitioning his jump shot from being more of a catch and shoot sling release to being a shot that he could get up uh you know, take two dribbles, pull up from 18 feet, uh, you know, take two dribbles around a screen, pull up behind the screen and knock down a three. Uh, that That's, I think, the biggest uh, thing that Halliburton could do to really help his uh, stock. But at six foot five, uh, you know, you're talking about a guy that can play both guard positions. He's an incredible help defender. He's an incredible uh, good on ball defender uh, who needs to add a lot of strength this offseason, I think, as well. Uh, if he can put on, you know, like 15, 20 pounds uh, from the time that he gets to Iowa State until the time that he leaves Iowa State, uh, it'd be a uh, it'd be a big win for him. And I think that uh, you're talking about someone that really should be on NBA draft radars because of the way that his uh, team skill set, the way that he functions within a scheme, it just helps you win games. It's not always going to show up on the box score, but he just helps you win games, I think, by being out on the floor. I'll let you go with this, and um, it's kind of a, a little bit different, but it, it centers back to Iowa State and the NBA. How much have you, looking back, did you did you see Monte Morris evolving into what he has, uh, a guy that's been a, a key piece on a Denver Nuggets team that's vying now for the Western Conference Finals and I mean, he's Iowa State's best NBA player in quite some time. Did did you see see this? I guess when when you scouted him a, f a couple years ago now. So I, I did. I had him as a late first round grade that year. Uh, okay. I was a pretty big fan of Monte. Uh, 
I loved the maturity and the poise that he played with. His feel for the game, again, you know, is absolutely off the charts. You're talking about, I think that he is still the record holder for assist-to-turnover ratio among multi-year players in college basketball history. So, I mean, anytime you're talking about someone that's that smart and makes that good of decisions, plus can knock down shots both off the catch and off the dribble, um, it's just tailor-made for a role in the NBA, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, I, I was a big fan. I saw him as a high-level backup NBA point guard, and you know that's kind of where we're at. I guess that brings up one more thing, and I'll let you go because I know I know I've held you up a little long. But um, do NBA personnel care about? Do they put much stock into who's developing these guys? You know, Steve Prohm is. He's tried to use it recruiting-wise, obviously, because he put Cameron Payne and Isaiah Cannon, Monte Morris um, in the NBA. He obviously hopes he puts, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, which is a little different because he's not a point guard. But do they look at that and say, okay, a guy like Tyrese Halliburton is another point guard that's been developed, and we know, kind of know that? Or is it is it not is that more so a recruiting thing than it is anything NBA people care at all about? No, I do think that it's complicated on some level. So like, I wouldn't say that like NBA executives look at Steve Prohm necessarily and say, Oh, like we need to get this guy because we know he's going to be, you know, taught incredibly well at the lead guard position. You know, Steve has a great reputation for developing lead guards and uh, you know, I don't mean to disparage what he's done. I, I just don't necessarily think that NBA executives look at his work and say, oh my God, like we need this next prom guard out mm-hmm. of Iowa State, right? What I will say is that NBA teams do certainly consider contextual values and contextual uh, situations surrounding prospects. You know, for instance, for years, uh, we saw Michigan players somewhat underperform where they were selected on draft day, right? And I think that what a lot of executives recognized was that John Beeline is so good offensively as a coach and is just puts you into such oceans of space and allows you to attack that it kind of made, you know, guys who were somewhat less athletic than what, you know, you would think Uh, it made them look better athletically than what they actually were because he actually knew how to coach offense at a level commensurate with an NBA coach. Uh, Mike Bray is another guy, you know, who I think has done a tremendous job uh, putting his players in incredible positions to succeed offensively. Rick Bird at uh, Belmont is another one where like, you know, just the way that guys coach offense, I think, uh, and how much space they're able to put their players in, I think it often leads to, uh, you know, just having to consider the contextual factors. And then you can look at the other side of that, for instance, with Kentucky, right? Like over the years, John Calipari hasn't exactly prioritized shooting on his lineups. Therefore, teams haven't necessarily uh, gotten a chance to see guys operate in space. And someone like Devin Booker, his driving ability, I think, was somewhat underrated coming into the draft because uh, he was someone that never had the lanes to drive into the paint because they just didn't have any floor spacing around him. They didn't have any shooting around him. Uh, Kevin Knox last year got a little bit of a bump, in my opinion, because of that contextual factor. So I think that they look at it more from what's happening on the floor and the way that coaches' schemes affect the players on the floor versus, uh, you know, oh, this, this – you know, Steve Prohm has such an incredible track record of developing lead guards. We need that guy. 
That's really, yeah, that's really insightful. Um, I'm going to let you go here because when I asked you to come on, I was thinking, okay, I'll bring him on for about 15 minutes and let him get back to it. And I've held you up for 32. Um, you've No, honestly, here, here's the thing. Again, I watched this Iowa State team so much this year. Like, I lost so much money betting on Iowa State this year. <laughs> I can't emphasize that fact enough. Uh, they were just so maddeningly inconsistent and impossible to figure out. Uh, I loved this team. I loved watching them. I thought that they were incredibly good. And then uh, the wheels kind of fell off a little bit until the Big 12 tournament. And then they fell off again against Ohio State. So, uh, yeah, very, very bizarre year for Iowa State. And uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed the ride nonetheless. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you talked about how this was one of the more talented teams you watched. And you look back at Iowa State's 2014-15 team, I think it was. And now you look at the NBA and they've got Monte Morris, George Niang, Nazmi Long, Deontay Burton, and Abdul Nader from that team in the NBA. It'd be interesting to see how many of guys from that last year te- last year's team that you just I've spent this half hour talking about can find niches or roles in the NBA because I don't think looking back five years ago, any of us thought there'd be five guys from that team. And it's kind of, I think Iowa State fans are like, man, maybe they should have went a little bit deeper. But uh, it was interesting as you talked through this because I think a lot of things you brought up with Wigington or Horton Tucker, I'm sure people and Iowa State fans listening are shaking their heads, agreeing with you because I think you, you obviously have a lot of knowledge on these guys because a lot of them were right on the point of, I think, what people back in Amesaw. So uh, thanks again for taking some time. I think you just posted your version six big board. I'm sure there'll be a lot more coming after both camps next week. So safe travels to Chicago and uh, thanks for taking so much time. I really appreciate it, Sam. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Anytime. Thanks again to Sam for taking so much time. I messaged him uh, here before he heads to Chicago to see if he'd come on the Cyclone Scoop and talk about these Iowa State guys since there's uh, quite a few this year. And uh, I know he's got a lot of insight on them and I was thinking we'd go 15 minutes or so, and we just finished up a 34-minute conversation or so. So thanks again to Sam for taking so much time to go through Iowa State's uh, NBA prospects. It's going to be an interesting few weeks ahead. The NBA Combine is coming up, as well as the NBA G League Elite Camp. That's going to all of that's going to run from May 12th through May 19th. So a busy week for three of Iowa State's NBA draft prospects and. Uh, hopefully Sam gave a lot of insight because I thought I learned a lot. Uh, I've you know watched every game this year from Iowa State, saw these guys, but I think Sam just has so many insights from NBA personnel and um, evaluations as well that uh, he provided quite a bit of insight as well. And I think probably as you were listening, I think some people were probably shaking their heads with different things he said because I think a lot of the pros and cons that he talked about with all those different guys or just when he was talking about Iowa State in general are things that uh, we saw from this Iowa State team at Hilton Coliseum last year. So it's going to be interesting in the weeks ahead to see how these guys can potentially raise their draft stock. I, you know, I think by all accounts, Taylor Horton Tucker and Lindell Wigginton are both going to stick in the NBA draft. Uh, I think Wigginton would probably be the only one that could potentially change his mind, and I, I think he's pretty set on probably staying in. So uh, these guys are going through the process. They're going to stay in the draft, and uh, it's going to be a big month or so ahead, starting with – the workouts in Chicago, but then private workouts leading up to, I think, the June 20th draft. Um, So busy several weeks ahead. That's going to do it for this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. Um, I think the last two now have been both basketball. I think we might be going back to a football episode next time. And then throughout the offseason, we'll just have everything, recruiting, basketball, football. There's a lot ahead. It might be the offseason, but there's a lot to talk about, and uh, we'll keep doing it here on the Cyclone Scoop. So thanks for listening this time, and I'll talk to you next time. 
not too long from now. 